Welcome back to Magical Streaming, the podcast where we watch Disney Plus and tell you what we think about it, as well as some facts and some trivia along the way. This is our third episode. If you stuck with us after last week, thank you so much. <laughs> Clearly, you're not that big a fan of Pinocchio. It was also just a rough time. We had a very rough time recording. Uh, yeah, we had we to had... start over a few times. It was just, it was, yeah. It was not great. So thank you for sticking with us. And this is actually the last episode of our premiere week where we decided to do three episodes. After this, we will be sticking to a normal podcast release schedule once a week on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Yep, except maybe now and again have a few special weeks thrown in there where we're gonna have two episodes but that's about it um yeah this takes a fair amount of time as i'm sure anyone who's ever tried making a podcast would be able to tell you already especially people who've been at it much longer than we have of course yeah so after this of course this week we are still gonna post one on wednesday and because today is sunday technically it is two episodes this week, but nonetheless, today we are talking about Fantasia. Yep, Fantasia, which was released in 1940. So actually same year as Pinocchio. Yes, it is. Uh, I was going to tell you that in the history, but I guess, okay. Just I'm, I'm sorry. You can still outline it if there were more facts to go along with that. There are some facts to go along with that, but well, there you let's go. get a synopsis first, in case someone has never watched Fantasia. Yes, well, it's not so much a synopsis as a description of the movie, because it is not a storyline per se. It's, uh, you know, a blend. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to read the synopsis instead of trying to summarize it further. Uh, So again, taking the synopsis off of Disney+, Plus. here it goes. Walt Disney's timeless masterpiece is an extraordinary blend of classical music with innovative innovative animation. Sorry about that, guys. This is my French coming through. Some words I just don't know how to say the first time around. (laughs) Moving on. Featuring eight sequences. See the music come to life and hear the pictures burst into song in this groundbreaking film. Um... And then it does actually end the synopsis on Disney+. And this is my bad. I probably was not paying as much attention as I should have been. So I don't know if they put through the actual disclaimer in the stream itself. But it does say at the end of the synopsis, this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. Which is not entirely true, but we'll get into that later. Yes. So, All right, so give us some history. Some history here. As you've already mentioned, Fantasia premiered in 1940. It was November 1940, um, the 13th to be exact. So November 13th, 1940. Production started in 1937. After, in 1936, Waltz noticed Mickey was kind of declining in popularity. And he, he thought Mickey needed a, a comeback of sorts. So they started 
making the Sorcerer's Apprentice as a Silly Symphony. Do you know what the Silly Symphonies were? Uh, they were shorts. Yes, they were musical shorts. Uh, 75 were produced between 1929 and 1939. And originally, the Sorcerer's Apprentice was just going to be another Silly Symphony, but the costs kept getting higher and higher on it. And so Walt decided to push it forward to a full movie with different segments that would be um, essentially a bunch of silly symphonies kind of strung together. With a live orchestra. With a live orchestra, yes, of course. The cost of Fantasia was $2.28 million in 1940. That's about $41.9 million today. However... Fantasia also employed a new type of sound called Fantasia sound, which was only ever used with Fantasia. And it was designed by the Walt Disney Studio for a stereophonic sound system, which was a brand new concept because in the olden days, they didn't really use stereo sound. They used a mono sound. So to really help the music shine through Walt designed a whole new way well with help designed a whole new way for the movie to be uh, heard but that in itself really limited the film it was only it couldn't have a full release so because theaters weren't equipped with the technology to play it exactly so Walt had to pay for the theaters to get the equipment. And each theater, it cost about $85,000. Yikes. So that's about $1.5 million today. Is that part of that $2.2 million that you that's mentioned earlier? part of the $2.8 million. So, 12 theaters around the country were fitted with Fantasia sound. Altogether, that's an additional $18 million in today's money. So, total cost would, would bring it up to $59.9 million today. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. In the Broadway Theater in New York City, where... Steamboat Willie actually first premiered is where Fantasia premiered and they installed 90 speakers to wow. Fantasia sound. I that's a that's a lot of speakers. So many speakers. Um but a lot of money, a lot of speakers. A lot of money, a lot of speakers. So, and then it did go on to win two Academy Awards, one for Outstanding Contributions to the Advancement of Sound Use in Movies, and one to Stakowski, the conductor, for Unique Achievement in Creation of a New Form of Visualized Music. Hmm. Well, I guess the, at least the speakers paid off. Yes, well, not really. They they lost. Well, not not the speakers specifically, but 
Uh, and it did get a full theater run in 1942. It was given a mono soundtrack so that it could be wide scale released. And it was cut down, the film. They cut it down to um, first an hour and 40 minutes and then an hour and 20 minutes by removing a lot of the commentary and also the Sokata and Fuge sequence. I mean, you will probably have things to say about that later. I, I will have some things. So that's where I stand with the history. All right. So let's get into some trivia, some facts. All right. I actually have uh, a decent amount of facts here and trivia and actually reading through some of this trivia has increased my appreciation for the movie i feel like it's actually one of those kind of movies where going into it with a bit of research might make it more enjoyable um and this was my first time ever seeing fantasia never actually had i watched it before uh one of the few on the animation list that I had not seen I guess mostly because we just did not own it um, so one of the things that I found is that there is some conflicting information or opinions as to how this movie should be ranked or um, rated I guess um, on one end the film was selected into the National Film Registry in 1990 for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Right. And it was also selected by the Vatican in the art category of its list of 45 great films. Which is interesting, considering the entire sequence from The Rite of Spring. Right. Um, however, it was also named by uh, Premier Magazine. It was named as one of the 20 most overrated movies of all time. Which... I mean, okay. Are we... We're... We're not going to equate Premier Magazine to the Vatican and... That's true. I mean... The film registry... <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's probably more of a personal opinion versus an actual ranking system. Right. Um, and actually, I mean, it does have a certain reputation as one of Disney's biggest box office flops. But... Because they I spent get... so much money on those speakers. Well, exactly. And the fact that it couldn't have a widespread release. So right. I think a lot of people take that to... Um, Maybe not a lot of people, but some people clearly must take that to equate to the fact that it's really just not as good as it's supposed to be. Um, I mean, it does hold currently uh, a 96 out of 100 on Metacritic and an 8.61 out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. So Yeah, those are pretty good rankings. Also, critics really thought when the film was released, the, the people that could see it, thought it was a masterpiece. It it was really well received from the artistic community. Interestingly, the classical community, the classical music community, 
did not give it the same kind of warm reception. Um, they they weren't kind of on board with it. I there's a sort of um, I mean I don't want to I, I don't want to get anyone that's in the classical music community on my back, but I feel like it's At one Marie. of those. <laughs> At Marie Lightning on Twitter, please. Uh... I'm never on Twitter, so go right ahead. Um, that's why Amber is handling the Twitter account for the show because I'm never on Twitter. Anyway, um, I feel like classical music is kind of one of those aspects where people, um, it's going to be more of a purist thing. You know, like it it has a certain, what? That was kind of the big gripe that they had, that it was, um, that it wasn't allowing people to really experience the music the way it's supposed to be experienced. Yeah, and I guess, like, you're kind of, yeah, because you're taking away from the experience itself by putting it on screen and record it instead of experiencing it live. Right, right, right. Which, in a sense, is like, you know what, for some people, that's the only way they're going to get to experience the music. So it, it comes down to do you want only a certain elite of people to be able to enjoy what you're making or do you want a wider amount of people to have appreciation for it? But that's a, that's a different discussion that can be applied to a <laughs> lot of things. Yeah. Um, so some more facts. Uh, during the production, animators were given no instruction for coloring Walt told them to use any color they wanted, which was a first. Um, It is the only Walt Disney animated feature film that reaches a two-hour mark, even to this day. Like some, this is Walt Disney animated, does not include Pixar. Because some Pixar movies are a little over the two-hour mark. But in terms of Walt Disney animated only one that reaches two hours is actually the longest one at two hours i found conflicting information i found two hours and six minutes uh on disney plus it's listed at two hours and five minutes we're not gonna have a crisis of identity over one minute it's the longest one um yeah we'll we'll talk more about that later it it feels it in places it really I said I was going to talk about it later, but we'll talk about uh, talk about it now. That that cut down by removing a lot of the commentating, a lot of the commentary. You would have appreciated. I would it more have appreciated that, that so much because if you haven't seen the film and if you don't want to watch the film, keep listening to our podcast. But um, <laughs> there is basically before most sequences somebody explaining to you what's going to happen in the sequence afterward. Which, yeah, isn't it the conductor? Actually, um, it's a dubbed voice. Oh, well, that could explain the disconnect. And uh, when it was remastered, it had to be dubbed again. There, there's just a lot of. Uh... The point is, it just wasn't necessary in a lot of times and it did kind of make it seem longer than it needed to be in my own opinion all right i've got a Uh, 
I'm going to throw Okay. Go ahead. Mickey was redesigned for the film. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yes. Fred Moore, who is a Disney legend, uh, redesigned Mickey. And that redesign is the Mickey that we see today. This He has evolved slightly from there, but this was the first time we see Mickey in the form that we today recognize him most in. Hmm. Actually, what I saw also is that um, the initial redesign was made specifically for Fantasia, but because Fantasia ended up taking more time than anticipated to make, by the time Fantasia was released, this new style used for Mickey had already been used in four other different um, Mickey-centric shorts or, you know. Right the episodes or what, whatever they were making. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I moving on, I guess. Redesign. I, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Oh, it, it is like, that's, that's why that, that's where it comes from. So it's always nice to know where something you appreciate come from. Um, so, uh, this is one of the movies where, as always, Walt was shown to be a little overambitious. One of the ways is that he actually originally wanted to re-release the film each year with new music segments. Dear God. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. But some of the unused ideas that they talked about when discussing that process were actually later incorporated into Fantasia 2000. Which we will get to in a while. At some I'm, point. <laughs> yeah. I am not yeah, it was released in 1999, so it's, it's a while away. Um, I have some also, I guess, um, specific, uh, sequence-specific trivia. Oh, wait, I don't have I, trivia. I've got one more general trivia that we'll throw in before you do that. Okay. Another way that Walt was a little overambitious is originally he wanted there to be smells in the movie. Oh, yeah. As well. But the problem that they were running into was they didn't know how to get the smells out before the next sequence would start. So they had to drop the idea entirely. But no good idea ever truly dies if you've been to the parks technology that technology is used now in many rides you see it in soren you see it well, you in smell it mickey's fill our magic and of course in avatar flight of passage mm-hmm. so yep. go ahead with your trivia specific to certain sequences all right i don't have one i don't have trivia for every sequence um so the first one that I want to talk about is the Sorcerer's Apprentice, mm-hmm. which a lot of people know that the Sorcerer, and if you don't, that's fine, because uh, I'm going to tell you now. The Sorcerer is named Yensid, which is, of course, Disney backwards. Yes. Um, however, that is not the only way that Yensid pays a certain homage to Walt himself. Mm-hmm. Um the lifting, I mean, just 
certain elements in general were modeled secretly on Walt Disney, but specifically <laughs> the lifting of the eyebrow that he does when he's angry is very similar and familiar to the kind of dirty look he would give the animators when he was unsatisfied with their work. Well, sometimes we all got to make fun of our boss a little to get through the day. Just kidding. Helen, if you're listening to this, I love you. (laughs) Okay, well, if, if you haven't told her about this podcast, she's probably not listening to it. Anyway. Covering my bases. <laughs> In case she just happens to stumble across this. Yeah. Um, also about the sorcerer. He is a silent character, of course, in mm-hmm. this film. Like many of the... There's not really talking in the movie uh, much. And a lot of his subsequent roles were also silent or with little dialogue. The first time... He ended up receiving a regular voice actor. Do you want to guess what it was for? For Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts 2 in 2005. I, if you haven't guessed already from this podcast, I love Kingdom Hearts. And every time there's an opportunity to bring up Kingdom Hearts, I'm going to do it. So, (laughs) yes, you do learn magic from Yen Sid. In Kingdom Hearts 2, and he is scary in the video game and intimidating. Um, yeah, Amber's uh, greatest disappointment right now is that we do not own currently a PlayStation 4, and therefore she cannot play Kingdom Hearts 3. Someday, my. You know. Someday your game will come. As we learned. From Pinocchio. When you wish upon a star. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Uh, But yes, so he was voiced by Corey Burton. And ever since, Corey Burton has voiced all major appearances of Yensid. Um, That's pretty much all I have on the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, I have quite a bit on the Rite of Spring, actually. Um, A.K.A. the the what? I, I oh, just... oh, you're asking for me to tell you what the Rite of Spring is? Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's the one with the dinosaurs. Yeah, I don't think people are gonna know what. Yeah. Fair and I mean they would have figured out once I started talking about it. Yes. So... Okay. So the the dinosaur one. Yes, the dinosaur one. Um, Early uh, ideas for the Rite of Spring extended the timeline to evolutionary appearance of humans, as well as the discovery of fire, not just up to the time of the dinosaurs. Wow. Um, That was a saucy in the 1940s. Yes. The reason this didn't happen is because creationists threatened to cause trouble for the film if that was included. There were other factors, but that was one of the big ones, which resulted in the segment being cut to what is now shown in the film, which pretty much ends with the separation of the continents, Mm -hmm. which, listen, I don't know. I guess Fantasia came out longer ago for like 
more years. It's been more years since Fantasia came out than other dinosaur movies we've now come to know and love in some cases. But actually the first thing I thought when I saw that part is is this lying to me or did Land Before Time lie to me? Because in Land Before Time, the biggest part of the plot is that the separation of the continents happened while dinosaurs were still on the earth and also with Ice Age. I was just about to throw in Ice Age here. Uh, according to Ice Age, that squirrel caused the separation causes everything. Of the and in the first Ice Age, there are humans, so... What's the truth? Who can know? Okay, well, I'm not going to use Ice Age as a point of basis, to be honest, but Land Before Time, I trust it. Okay, you know what? We could probably call our scientist friends. And hey, uh, Joshua and Veronica, when you listen to this, if they're not paleontologists, though. No, 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 tell me what you know about dinosaurs. Just shoot me a message, and then I will tweet out what they tell me. <laughs> Okay. Um, Also, one of the things that was kind of fascinating to me is the fact that this segment would have been very interesting to 1940 audiences because the discovery of dinosaur bones and theories of their evolution as well as their demise was all recent development. And to showcase that... Some of the consulting experts that were used into um, the movie for this particular sequence and the depiction of prehistoric animals was two paleontologists, um, Roy Chapman Andrews, who became famous in the 20s for discovering uh, previously unknown species of dinosaurs, including the velociraptors. And also uncovering the first nests full of dinosaur eggs. But also paleontologist Barnum Brown, who discovered the first known remains of Tyrannosaurus, Tyrannos, please say it for me. Tyrannosaurus. T-Rex. <laughs> yeah, for discovering the T-Rex. And this guy was born in 1873. Dang, son. So... If he was a young paleontologist discovering the T-Rex, at best, this was like in the late 1800s or sometime in the early to mid-1900s. So this was really not that far back. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, They also used um, an evolutionary biologist uh, who was an expert in zoology, biology, and taxonomy. So, like, obviously, they didn't go just blindly into it. Um, right. And actually, Roy Chapman, Andrews, uh, actually, well, all three of them that I just mentioned, as well as uh, astronomer Edwin Hubble, were of brought... Telescope? Hmm? Of the telescope? I didn't actually do too much research. I'm going to assume yes at me if I'm wrong. But anyway, he was an astronomer. Astronomer, sorry. Um, so these scientists were brought into the studio to help 
the animators better understand the history of the planet. And they uh, they studied comets, they studied nebula, uh, they observed iguanas and baby alligators, and they kept a camera at low position to basically, you know, kind of get a better picture of how these animals moved, because I guess, you know, even though they're not, now we know they're not exactly related to dinosaurs those would have been the animals they would have looked at in the 40s and been like yeah this kind of looks like a dinosaur right fair enough like like you wouldn't look at a chicken and be like that's the one yeah anyway I guess you didn't like that one Um, I I didn't I'm sorry that's okay Um, also the segment was shown in many schools for years as a way of educating children about evolution. Nice! hmm And uh, one thing about this also is that the dinosaurs and other animals are, like, their facial features and expressions mm-hmm. are more real... Well, not realistic per se, but you know how Disney will take animals and cute them up. Yeah, exactly. Personify them. Yeah, exactly. Whereas here they wanted the prehistoric animals to look as realistic as possible. Yeah, they're creepy looking. Some of them are, yeah. The long necks are pretty cute, but aren't they always? Yeah, anyway, that's all I have on the Rite of Spring. Um, let's see. Do you have any trivia, or should I just keep going? I am through with my trivia until we get to where you can see it in the parks. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do I have on other segments? I have one, one fact about the Dance of the Hours, which is a segment with the ballet animals starting with the ostriches moving on to the hippos then the elephants and finally the alligators i'm gonna have the alligators or crocodiles i think they're alligators anyway um there was one specific animator john hench who was assigned to work on this segment and at first he didn't really want to do it because he didn't really know anything about ballet so Disney gave him season tickets to the Russian Ballet of Monte Carlo with backstage access so that he could learn more about it. You know what? Not a bad perk. Not a bad perk at all. I know. It's, and it's just so Disney to be like, oh, you don't, you don't know about this? Okay, here you go. Go learn about it. You know, instead of being like, okay, let me find someone else who's maybe more comfortable with this. He was like, no, I picked you for a reason. If you don't feel comfortable about it, go learn about it. Right. That was well. Yep. Uh, Yeah, that's the only one I had on that. And next is the Pastoral Symphony, which is the sequence with the 
uh, that was based on Greek or Roman mythology. So mm-hmm. with the centaurs and the Zeus, Pe- yeah, Zeus, <laughs> the Pegasus and the unicorns and all of that. Um, this was the first animated feature film to use classical mythology as a source instead of fairy tales or more recent literature. So the characters are specifically based on the Greco-Roman mythology. And then in terms of specific characters, now this is where I sort of disagree with the section of the synopsis that says the program is presented as originally created Mm. uh, because it is not which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but... To be clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. It, this particular movie did garner a lot of controversy because of the centerette section of this particular segment um, where the female centaurs... So the centrets, I guess, um, are being catered to by young black African girls. And the way that they were drawn mm-hmm. and their role in the scene, mm-hmm. not great. Mm-mm. And uh, when basically the controversy came more to light about both her design and her role in the film. Uh, Disney deleted the scenes from the film in 1969. Okay. And in 1990, the scenes were restored, but the shots involving this character, whose name is Sunflower, were cropped so that she couldn't be seen anymore. And that remains the case up until today however the scenes do still exist they were preserved in old tapes and they were circulated among those interested in the character and her depiction so even though disney made efforts to de-emphasize her she still actually has more of a presence in public than most other characters from the film and in spite of the fact that she is a very controversial and insensitively um, depicted character she happens to have a considerable fan following on the internet um, where she is featured prominently in fan art but has been, of course, redesigned according to more modern conception of African and African-American girls. All right. So that's interesting to me that, you know, she's a character that they basically try to erase from the history of the movie. Right. But in a lot of, I guess, more online communities, she is one of the most popular characters that has made it through. Well, I mean... She is, but in the same way that people retake things. And if she's been 
retaken by people uh, of the community that would have had issue and had cause to be upset with it, then good for them. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually, um, I have seen images of the original depiction. I have not seen, because I, um, to be fair, I, to be honest, I don't really look, go around looking for fan art on Fantasia. Um, but yeah, it's not, it was not a great design. Nope. And again, you can put it as being a product of this time, but. Not good. Yeah. Um, then about the very last sequence of the movie, which is mm-hmm. Night on Bald Mountain, followed by the Ave Maria sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the Night on Bald Mountain sequence was cut from the film when it was originally released on video. Because it's creepy. The studio was overrun with calls and letters from parents who complained that the sequence scared their children. You know what? I, as a 26-year-old woman, was like, this is creepy. Oh, but this isn't just in the 40s. Even today, after more than 60 years since it's been released, they still receive complaints from parents claiming that the sequence terrified their children. I just said I am 26 years old today, and it is creepy. It is very creepy, yes. I think when I saw it, I was probably around 10 or 11, and I did not like that part. I wasn't scared, but it was creepy. Well, as I said, I've never seen it, so... Little Marie would have been terrified. Oh, Little Marie would have been so scared. If you'll remember, Little Marie was scared by the witch in Snow White. I remember. It's a fact that I think about often. Yeah, so Little Marie Little Marie would have been terrified. Grown-up Marie is still a wuss. But I was not scared, just a little disturbed. So it's okay. Um... My final trivia, finally, is about the specific Ave Maria sequence, Mm -hmm. which was not going great. They had a lot of issues with that particular scene, like different type of issues, um, because just the effect of moving through the scene, uh, the way they decided to achieve that particular effect was by using panes of painted glass and the whole setup was over 200 feet long and it had to be redone three times the first time the wrong lens was placed on the camera somebody so, <laughs> yeah some, somebody either lost their job or got a very very stern talking to Um, So not only did the film show the artwork, it also showed the workers just like kind of running about and doing their job. Cool. The second time, an earthquake struck the studio. So obviously the shots were rendered unusable. Oh, dear God. And then the next morning is when the third and final shot 
was redone. From that point on, the film was shipped to the lab, processed, and couriered to the premiere in New York, where it was uh, to be, where it was made into the final print with four hours to spare until the premiere. I also read that fact that it wasn't finished until four hours before, which is, yep. Ooh, talk about. Can you imagine being like you are Walt Disney? You have spent so much money on this film. You I have can't poured imagine being so many creative juices. Well, yeah. But yeah, you just put so much of yourself. This is an entirely new concept. You've made a completely new sound experience for it. And you are standing around in New York. And it's just like tapping your foot and looking at your watch anxiously until you get the word films in. We're good to go. Like, no. I've turned something in and turned it in.com at like 11 p.m. at night, and that's stressful enough, okay? I can't imagine having my film not done when it's about to be shown in front of everybody else. It's like. Or do you think actually maybe Disney being the optimist and the dreamer and more of like the visionary that he was? That he was completely chill and like, nah, this will turn up. And meanwhile, Roy was a Roy was completely mess. like, oh my god. Well, why do you do this? Uh, having Walt as a brother must have aged that man. It must have so much. So we're we're to staying power now with Fantasia, as we've mentioned, Kingdom Hearts. You see the mushrooms are in forms of Heartless throughout all three games. Yen Sid is featured in Kingdom Hearts 2, maybe Kingdom Hearts 3. I don't know. I haven't played it. I'm not salty. (laughs) Not at all. In the parks, we have at Walt Disney World, uh, Fantasia Mini Golf. There is Mickey's Magic, which is obviously heavily influenced by the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia. Well, not just the, fin- uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, but just a whole concept with the orchestra. That's true. The whole thing. Uh, Fantasmic, obviously, features music and a lot of ideas from Fantasia, which is in Hollywood Studios at Disneyland in California and at Tokyo Disney Sea. I feel like that's the place where it's the most, I mean, I haven't seen how, because they're different for each park, uh, so I don't know how it is in Disneyland or in Tokyo, but in Hollywood Studios, um, obviously Sorcerer Mickey, but also Schoenbach is one of the villains um, that is shown in the villain montage. And the music, as you mentioned. Yes. You can also meet Sorcerer Mickey at Hollywood Studios. Studios. There is the Fantasia section at the All-Star Movies Resort. And in Hollywood Studios, there used to be the Sorcerer Mickey hat. Yep. From September 28, 2001 until January 7, 2015. R.I.P. Sorcerer hat. Yeah, Amber very much misses the sorcerer's hat. Let me live my life, guys. 
Although, so, uh, arguably, because this was put up in 2001, could have been more because of the, rever- uh, the revival of Fantasia with Fantasia 2000. Who knows? It doesn't Ultimately matter. originated in Fantasia, so it matches. All right. So let's then start getting into our hot takes. Give me your hot take for this movie. Um, I don't have that many hot takes, to be honest, because I... I ugh. I don't have that many like strong opinions. I'm very neutral about this film. Like I said earlier, I think this is a movie I might have um, appreciated more if I had done research about it beforehand. And the fact that I didn't, maybe like parts of it were not as interested as interesting to me. So. It's not so much hot takes as kind of a general review, which is I can take it or leave it. Um, I was not necessarily. The thing also is that, again, we are, you know, we're watching this movie. It's 2019. Animation has come so far. So we don't get to have the same feel as these movies maybe were intended to give people where this was all new, this was all fascinating, this was all like feats of engineering those times with not just in this instance the Mm -hmm. uh, the image but also with sound and we're kind of missing out on a bit of that and it's hard to put yourself back into that place. So I don't want to come down too hard on it because of the fact that I'm not in the right place to maybe give it its proper appreciation. Uh, Also, like, again, with classical music, I can take it or leave it. There are some pieces that I do love of classical music, select pieces that I've listened throughout my life that I can spend hours just playing it on repeat and just being in this kind of peaceful state of mind. But it's not something that I seek out. So... As a whole, it's just not a movie that was specifically made for me being born in the year I was born in. Um, I do appreciate some parts of it. I love the Sorcerer's Apprentice segment. Um, I like the changing of the seasons sequence with the fairies when they're playing the Nutcracker Suite. Um I can appreciate some of the pastoral, um, I forget what it's called, pastoral symphony. Mm. Um, I appreciate some of those scenes that I like, you know, I like cute things. So I do think the, especially the part with the Pegasus is very sweet. But ultimately, I was kind of bored throughout some of it. And I do think it's because of you. Um, I could have done without the cutscenes that were more narrations introducing the scene. I am curious to see if I will appreciate those better when we do get to Fantasia 2000, because some of the presenters are people that I'm actually familiar with and that are actually actors. So we'll have potentially better intonation and better presenting power to build up 
anticipation and excitement about the sequence that's about to follow. Whereas here, it was more of a, I just gave you the, like, I just gave away the entire sequence you're about to watch. So now you don't even have to watch it. Okay. So what I'm hearing here is you've basically given your whole thought process and could just give a number ranking on how much you like the film. I've got some real hot takes. And okay. So- sorry, I- then I should have let you go first. Because like I said, I, I just really don't have that many uh, hot takes. We, we heard. Here's my hot takes. Number one, this movie was made for a very cultured and refined audience. And I am neither of those things. I am a trailer trash, like, grown adult who grew up listening to 80s rock music and watching Beauty and the Beast. So I need something a little more to hold my attention. I completely understand that this movie is beloved by people. I completely understand that if you're very cultured and refined and you love art and abstracts and classical music you're gonna think it's great this movie is so boring it is so boring keep the sorcerer's apprentice and keep um the rite of spring although cut that down some and skip the ave maria part just keep the the creepy part of the last segment and that's fine package it up send it out that's all i need I will admit that I barely paid attention to the Ave Maria part. My other hot take, um, I have two more hot takes. Hot take number one, we've talked about Philar Magic being heavily influenced by Fantasia. How is Mickey going to be mad at Donald for taking the hat in <laughs> Philar Magic when that is exactly what he does in The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Mickey, hypocrite much. Do you want to be the pot or the kettle? Come on. Like, cut Donald some slack. Okay, for people who have not actually been to the Magic Kingdom or who have not seen Mickey's Philar Magic. Mickey's Philar Magic features Mickey's supposed to be putting on a concert and he's got his hat, his sorcerer's hat, to help control the magical orchestra. And Donald's supposed to set everything up, but Mickey runs off and is like, don't touch my hat. And Donald's like, ooh, I'm going to touch that hat. And it gets transported through a bunch of musical scenes from modern Disney movies, also Fantasia, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, but through The Lion King and Aladdin and Peter Pan and Beauty and the Beast. And honestly, Little Mermaid. I would rather, yes, honestly, I would rather watch Mickey's Philhar Magic over Fantasia any day. All and right, what's your next final hot take, hot take is. All those dinosaurs, when the T-Rex comes after them, and then the right. gets caught by the T-Rex, all these dinosaurs stop to watch and do not help Mr. Spike Tail, even though there are so many of them and only one T-Rex, and if they had just worked together, they could have overthrown the T-Rex. So those dinosaurs are not buds. They are not cool. They're not friends. And honestly... R.I.P. Spike Tail, you deserved better. 
Yeah, that was pretty sad. Like, he's fighting so hard and so valiantly. And, and it's pretty disturbing. Him. Like, watching him just straight up get killed is pretty disturbing, which and is like the, the slow closing of his eyes. Stand there, like, like 500 feet away, like, ooh, who's going to win? Like, you all could have won if you all worked together. That's what this movie needed a strong message. And if they had all worked together, in teamwork to take down the T-Rex, we would have had a great moral of the story, which is that teamwork makes the dream work. So those are my hot takes. That was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Um, In terms of villains, there's not one because there's not a plot to this movie. Yeah, that's really the thing that did it in for you. You need a plot and you need to be able to connect. Like you don't just need a plot. You need a plot and you need uh heroine that you are able to connect with you need a protagonist that will like yeah if i don't if i don't care about the characters it's over i you could have the most amazing plot but if i don't care about these characters it's over likewise you don't even really need to have a plot if you can make me care about these characters i am sold so final rankings i'm gonna go first (laughs) I'm gonna give. I mean, technically, though, Chernobog is considered a villain, which is why he is sometimes featured in villain sequences. Okay, well, he's creepy, but like, not memorable. He's he's like a demon raising raising some some more demons from hell. Like, it's just his job. Okay, if I'm gonna rank, he's doing his job. (laughs) He's he's evil, but he's doing his job, so he's fine. Right, it's like there's no malicious. In... Okay, well, I mean I he's want... not just raising I... demons from hell. Like, isn't he just actually taking in spirits? Because there's some point where you actually go over a graveyard. Right, I think. Okay, never mind. I don't want to get this. This gets into some moral questioning about like is doing your job okay? But this isn't a good place. We're not here to talk to you about moral philosophy. I'm going to come down, not a memorable villain, uh, like two on the villain scale. Or I guess you just wouldn't consider him to be a villain at all. I mean, he's no whale, but... (laughs) Listen, I'm I'm not the one that decided that Monstro is considered a villain in Pinocchio. We've spent too much time talking about Monstro. He's a whale. (laughs) Two on the villain scale. Overall, the film... I'm going to give a three. Wow. Because, is that higher than you were expecting from me? No, but I mean, yeah, it's pretty much where I thought you would put it at. It's You rated I, I just... Snow White a four. <laughs> so you're not allowed to criticize my ranking because as we talked about earlier, I am uncultured. I have a, uh, like a basic palette for many many things including music and art so this movie i recognize its historical significance sorcerer's apprentice great right of spring a little long but you know and then creepy mccreeps over there all together you're getting a three out of ten for me am i gonna watch this film again no no, I'm not. It's going on the never pile. 
But not that I would rather die, so still higher than Pinocchio. Still higher than Pinocchio. All right. Okay, well, I guess... Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure. I guess I was just playing uh, devil's advocate with the villain thing here because I don't even really want to rate him. I don't want to spend that much thought rating him on a villain scale. How so... dare you? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give him a two <laughs> for the same reasons because then I don't have to come up with my own. Um, in terms of rewatchability... You know, initially I said, I remember when we finished watching it, I told you this is going to be my first never. And again, after reading these facts, I might at some point, not necessarily soon, but I might actually want to give it another try at some point and actually pay attention to it because I had it on my computer screen I was watching it, but I'm going to be 100% honest here. I was also playing on my phone for some of it. So I did not necessarily give it the proper attention that it potentially deserved. Not to say that when I did give it attention, again, some parts of it I did find boring. I'm uh, pretty similar to Amber, also fairly uncultured. And I have a slightly stronger appreciation for art than she does. But it's not like... You you put me in an art museum, I don't need to be, like, pondering over an art piece for 10, 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to look at it, and then I move on. So, with this being an entire two hours of more artistic depiction... Not entirely up my alley, um, but I would watch it again. So I'm going to say less than a year. And final ranking. Because I said I'm at a very neutral place for it. Don't you dare. I'm going to give it what I would consider to be the neutral ranking from a one to ten and i'm gonna give it a five how you know what that's it we're ending the podcast marie just ranked fantasia over snow white after saying that she found it boring yeah i never said i found snow white to be fascinating wow okay 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 are you canceling me again this is gonna be the second year in a row second year second week in a row that you're putting up an ad wanted for a new podcast host yes the second this is the second time please uh submit your applications to magical streaming at yahoo.com is this gonna happen whenever we disagree about a movie because that seems like a very unhealthy habit no because you just said you're neutral about this film and yes and i said that i actually don't really like snow white yeah but okay this is like when you take, you know, when you go from uh, strongly disagree to strongly agree, and then you just have the neutral in the middle. So the neutral is kind of the five, and then you go down no, the no, no. scale to strongly disagree, and you go what? up the scale to strongly okay. agree. I and I, I actually don't really like Snow White that much. So it makes sense that Snow White has a lower ranking than neutral. Okay, that's 
I respect you as a person. However, I... It doesn't sound like it. I respect you as a person, but I cannot respect this opinion of Snow White being so off. You know what? It's not that you've ranked Fantasia out of five. It's that you ranked Snow White out of four. <laughs> this, this is just going to keep coming back. And I'm not going to be over it ever. Yeah, this is something you're going to keep throwing back at me whenever I rank something higher than Snow White that you think it should be lower than. Like, Snow White is the baseline for you now in terms of criticizing my opinions. Yes, it is. What are we watching and putting out Wednesday for our first real scheduled release? Uh, So we are actually going to stray off a little bit because so far we have been watching these in uh, chronological order from when they first premiere. Um, But this week will mark the release of Frozen 2 in two theaters. Obviously, we're not going to review Frozen 2 because, first of all, it's not on Disney Plus yet, so that kind of would go against the purpose of what we're doing. And also, spoilers much, but we are going to review Frozen. So, on Wednesday, Frozen, a modern Disney classic? I, I, it's too 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 recent to be a classic. Well, we'll see. So we will get back to you with Frozen. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Magical Streaming and on Twitter at Stream the Magic. And you can always email us at Magical Streaming. Again, I am accepting new applications from someone who appreciates Snow White. Considering how you finished that sentence, I should not specify, but that is magicalstreaming at yahoo.com. Yes. All right. And at some point, we might have a Facebook page. Who knows? It'll come up when I decide to make it. Well, we'll tell people about it when that happens. Yep, and until next time, enjoy your magical streaming. Bye-bye.